You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast interview with Stephanie Feldstein, author of The Animal Lover's Guide to Changing the World and Population and Sustainability Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I've loved animals as long as I can remember, even longer from what I've been told. I still remember when I figured out where the fur in fur coats came from and refused to let anyone in my family leave the house wearing anything too hairy. I was five years old and protested the hall closet until the suspect coats were banished. I remember when I picked up a book about how farmed animals were treated and understood for the first time how much animals suffered to put food on my plate. I was 16 years old and stopped eating meat. Much to the chagrin of my parents, my friends' parents, servers in restaurants, and anyone else faced with helping me figure out what I could make into a meal. Veggie burgers weren't as easy to find back then. As I learned what animals went through for our food, clothes, comfort, and entertainment, I realized there was a lot I could do, even as a kid, to make the world a better place for them. And that mattered because their existence made the world a better place for me too. Animal lovers come in all shapes, sizes, and personalities. We may feel compelled to speak out, but not if it means fake blood or naked protest. That's okay. Humans are constantly interacting with animals, whether we're aware of it or not. From the 80 million or so households of companion animals, to the wildlife who live outside our doorstep, to the decisions we make every time we sit down to eat. There's no shortage of ways to help them, and they need us to help in any way we can. There is no us versus them. All kids have that moment in life when they learn for the first time that humans are mammals, just like their Labrador retriever or guinea pig or their favorite deaf lion. For many kids, this bit of knowledge is mind-blowing because by the time we learn this, we've been functional humans for a while, getting food at the grocery store, using electronics, and putting our shoes on the right feet before we tie them. Human society has come a long way in severing our connection with other animals, and that's a huge problem. Not only do animals make our lives richer in countless ways, but the way we treat animals and the environment that animals, including humans, rely on comes back to bite us. I don't mean karmic retribution, so I wouldn't discount the possibility. I mean that our actions boomerang at us in very direct ways. When we pump greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, polar bears aren't the only ones seeing their homes and food disappear. Climate change has already forced human communities to move and is changing the face of agriculture. When we destroy habitat, we destroy the natural systems that filter water, create oxygen, provide food, and give us medicines derived from plants like quinine, morphine, codeine, and anti-cancer drugs. When we subject animals to cruelty, we begin to accept being cruel to each other. Most importantly, we'd never want to replace the happiness of someone we love with suffering. There's no question that animals experience both pain and pleasure. Maybe it's not exactly the way humans do, but different species naturally have different ways they prefer to live their lives. Rolling around on dead things isn't my cup of tea, but the joy it gives my dog is undeniable. Other animals deserve to live their lives with as much pleasure and as little pain as we strive for in our own. There is one very significant way we're different from other animals. We've caused more devastation to the planet and other species, wild and domestic, than any other animal in history. We're also more capable than most other species of helping other animals live happily ever after whether it's stopping animal abuse or simply getting out of the way. We created this mess and it's up to us to clean it up for their sake and ours. Pretty much everything we do in our lives, from the moment we wake up and take a shower, we're using water that's shared resources. We're using energy that for most of us, unfortunately, still comes from fossil fuels. We are making decisions about what we eat. We're making purchases that have an impact on the planet and on other animals based on where they came from and what they're made of. There are so many entry points for people to take action and start making changes in their own lives. And that's really important for people to start with what feels right to you. That's a great way to start getting involved in this. You don't have to go from feeling like you're doing nothing to suddenly leading massive protests of thousands of people. If you're able to do that, then great. But that's not going to be for everybody. But we can still all get involved and make a difference in meaningful ways.
So capitalism is an inherently unsustainable system the way that it is being practiced now. It is an economy that is based on infinite growth, even though we live on a finite planet. So there is always going to be an end game for a growth-based economy. But of course, that's being largely ignored right now to the detriment of the world around us. You know, we really find that it's focused on growth and maximizing corporate profits, but at the expense of people and the planet. It exploits workers, it exploits animals, it exploits the environment. So we really need to reimagine how we approach our economy. And one of the models that we're looking at is a solidarity economy, which is really based on, on these values of justice, sustainability, and really valuing community involvement and understanding that there are different solutions in different communities, that it's not necessarily going to look the same everywhere in terms of how we move forward. And this transition is really critical. One of the reasons that we see so much panic whenever there's, for example, a drop in birth rate is because capitalism demands more and more people. But a solidarity economy looks at people aren't just numbers, but in terms of what is the actual well-being of people and the planet. And I know that all sounds very vague and esoteric in a lot of ways, but what it looks like on the ground is we actually see the solidarity economy playing out in a number of different models. For example, if you have a co-op grocery store near you, right, that is owned by the staff members and that they are engaged in how that store is run rather than it just being coming from a top-down corporation. We also see around the world a lot of great examples of mutual aid, which is different ways that communities are able to help each other out in ways that are much more cooperative than just thinking about it in terms of the very top-down social services. And so we see all of these different opportunities for the solidarity economy to be implemented. Another big one that we look at is shifting from all of these single-use products, the majority of which are made out of plastic, which of course creates a huge amount of pollution and comes from fossil fuels, and shifting away from that idea of single-use toward more of a reuse system. And that's something, again, that it takes a bit more of a community effort in terms of how we set up these systems. But in the end, it's things that reduces so much waste and so much harm and actually benefits the community in a number of different ways. This sort of falls into the conversation of the relationship between individual action. And I just want to underscore that individual action is really important for a number of reasons. We absolutely need there to be big systems change coming from governments and corporations, but there's a lot of power in our individual actions. And for a lot of people, that's where they start because when you get to choose what kind of world you want to support and live in, and it helps you connect with the issues you care about and align your life with your values. And then from there, that kind of builds into your actions, inspiring people around you. And this is how we begin to change cultural norms and build power. And then here's that get into some of that advocacy, right? That building power, whether or not we're directly trying to advocate for change, as we make changes in our old lives and those around us make changes, it starts to influence the market and political will as well. An issue is not going to be addressed by politicians if they think nobody cares about it and if nobody's talking about it. So when we make these changes in our lives, it helps to elevate those issues. And then lastly, to get to your point about advocacy and how to get involved with that and where to find your place, is that for many people, that individual action becomes that starting point for community action. And it's a really good way to help you find people around you who care about the same things that you do. And I think for a lot of people who are new to advocacy, they don't necessarily know what it looks like, right? You see very high profile people who are 
speaking to the UN or who are leading these big protests. And if you've never done anything like that before, that can be really intimidating. But a lot of it starts with community groups in your area and starting to learn, like, what are the first things that you can do? So a big part of it is making that individual connection and valuing that. And then from there, really asking yourself, what are the things that you're comfortable with? And just being open to learning from others and seeing what the different possibilities are for getting involved in as an advocate. The Endangered Species Condoms are a really fun project that's been around for more than 10 years now. And what it is, these condom packages that have colorful wildlife artwork on them. And they say things like, wrap with care, save the polar bear. Or before it gets any hotter, think of the sea otter. And it's really eye-catching and has these kind of funny things on them. And it works as a great icebreaker for people. Because a lot of people don't want to talk about population. It's a really controversial topic. There are a lot of injustices that have happened and continue to happen in the name of curbing population. But the way that we work on it, and frankly, that most other people who are concerned about population work on it, is just very centered in human rights. It's all about making sure that everybody has the ability to choose if and when they want to have children and how many children they want to have. So it's really all about empowering that choice and making sure people have access to reproductive health care and gender equity and education and all of these other interconnected factors, I do realize that population has been growing really quickly in my lifetime and that human population does put pressure on other species. And they start asking questions about like, okay, how do we solve that? Because that's a big gap for a lot of people who they may recognize it, but then they're really uncomfortable because they're like, well, what does it mean to address population? And so it's really empowering for people to realize it's all about advancing human rights and protecting wildlife while also protecting people and their reproductive freedom. I have always been really passionate about animals, including wildlife. And so I knew that in order to protect the animals that I loved, I also had to protect the places where they live. And I also had to think about what my impact was on their lives. And so I think from a very young age, when I would see things like images of deforestation, and it was always so devastating to me to see that instantaneous loss of so much life of these rich ecosystems and many of which were older than humans are and just to see it wiped away, oftentimes just for corporate greed, not even to meet human needs, but just for corporate profit. It was always something that was really devastating to me. Where I grew up, the expectation was that you might grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, or if you love the animals, you might be a veterinarian. And those are all wonderful careers, but it didn't occur to me that you could also make a living by fighting for these issues that you're passionate about. And then when I went to college, I started to work part-time at the local animal shelter and I got more involved in environmental clubs. And I really started to see the range of ways that you could help animals. And my major in college was in creative writing. And I started to realize how valuable that is to the movement. There was a huge difference between when I see like these really powerful campaigns or writing that really helped me and others connect with the issues. That came from somebody who had that skill with writing and communicating. And we absolutely need all of the scientists and the attorneys and everybody else in our movement, but we also need the people who are making those connections for other people to understand and for politicians to understand, for young activists to understand. 
And for me, one of my early influences, who I always loved and still love was always Jane Goodall. She really broke so many barriers, not just being a woman in her field, but in communicating science in a way that people could really connect with. Before Jane, there were so many scientists doing really great field work to understand human impacts on wildlife, but they kept it very distant. Like they didn't acknowledge that connection we have with animals and the individuality of animals and, and that love that we have for other species. And Jane was really able to embody all of that along with the science in a way that really revolutionized the way that people could connect with wildlife. And so that was somebody who had a huge influence on me and still does and who I just feel really changed the way we think about how we can communicate about these issues. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.